Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago. Our guest this episode is the Executive Director of the Chicago District Golf Association, Robert Marchione. The CDGA is one of the oldest and largest golf organizations in the entire country. To learn more about the CDGA, visit their website at cdga.org. All right, CDG was founded in 1914, and there were two primary uh, reasons at that point. One was caddy welfare. Uh, at that time, the Western Golf Association, it was long before the Chick Evans Scholarship uh, aspect, so uh, one of the reasons the CDJ was formed was for the benefit of caddies and to provide maybe a more standard way of treating caddies and caddy welfare. The second was tournaments. Uh, not only tournaments for the association, but to create a schedule of tournaments of the clubs that existed at that point in time so that they wouldn't be conflicting with each other. So those were our two primary reasons, was caddy welfare and tournaments. And then, and then so how does that relate now? Obviously, things have changed dramatically in 100 years. Um, what, what's the mission of the CDGA now? Well, naturally, from the caddy aspect, uh, the West, that's the Western Golf Association, uh, and they do quite well uh, with the Evans Scholar Program. Tournaments is still one aspect uh, of what we do and, and continue to conduct. In general, I would say that the scope of what we do now, if we kind of a mission statement, is to promote the game of golf. Primarily, it's amateur golf. Uh, you know, the, the PGA pros do an exceptional job when it comes to teaching, selling equipment, that type of thing. Uh, we're in footer side side of the game uh, when it comes to measuring and rating golf courses, when it comes to providing members with an official handicap index, uh, running qualify events for the USGA. Uh, so the promotion of the game and providing services to the game is uh, what basically our mission is, and tournaments is still part of that, providing opportunities for individuals to play all handicap levels, team events, mixed events, individual events, state championships, uh, again, USGA qualifying rounds. So we're still heavily involved in tournaments, but we've, ex we've expanded our reach out into these other areas that I mentioned. So then let's break that down a little bit further. When we talk about membership, you obviously have actual amateur golfers as members of the CDGA, and you have courses, I believe, who are members. Can you talk a little bit about what the CDGA provides to its member courses? Yes. Uh, the entities that, that join us are golf clubs, and naturally it's individuals that band together to form a golf club. So we look at it that the benefits of membership do go two directions here. One is at the course level, the other is the individual level, and sometimes it's tough to differentiate the two. But for example, for a golf course, we will go out, we'll measure the golf course, and we'll provide an official course and slope rating. Uh, we have educational seminars uh, that we conduct. Uh, there's software, uh, not in the handicap software, but we have tournament software for the clubs to conduct, uh, helps them uh, conduct their tournaments. We have a turf grass service, uh, the only regional golf association in the country that does this. So if a course uh, has a problem with the turf, they can call us, and our turf specialist will go out there and take a look at what the problem is, bring it back to a lab here, work with the local universities if need be, analyze what the problem is, and get that information back to the golf course. So from a golf course perspective, those are, those are the type of services that we provide. From an individual membership perspective, uh, the number one aspect is the USGA Handicap Index that every one of our members receive. Uh, there's the tournament opportunities that they have. Uh, we have uh, what we call a gold level of membership, which is an upgrade 
and people that are gold members can earn points and redeem those points uh, for merchandise. Uh, also, we, we get into uh, some non-golf areas a, a couple of times a year, for example. Uh, we offer tickets to the Blackhawks game. Uh, we work with the White Sox uh, on some different things. So from the individual perspective, we, we have that group of benefits. From the club perspective, we benefit benefits. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, regional golf associations. All the stuff that the CDGA provides, you know, covering all this reach for these different stakeholders, are there other comparable regional golf associations that sort of match up around the country with the CDGA, or is this unique? There are other golf associations around the country. Uh, when you look at it, and I'll go in, in really round numbers here, there's about 500 golf associations in, in the United States. Uh, about 100 are authorized by the USGA. Now, it doesn't mean that the others uh, are not good or not doing a mission because the Western Golf Association is a perfect example. They are a golf association, but their mission is not to rate courses. Their mission is not to conduct the USGA championships. Their mission is their tour event. Their mission is the junior, the Western junior, and naturally the Evans Scholar program. We're one of about, again, 100 golf associations that's authorized by the USGA, and that authorization allows us to measure golf courses and utilize the course rating system. We go through training to do that and to uh, issue our members a, a USGA handicap index. So there's about 100 golf associations around the country like ours, and they're different sizes. You know, we kind of fit into the bigger uh, size, if you will, with New York, uh, with the California Golf Associations, both northern and southern with Florida. And some are very small. There's some very small associations, maybe only have 2,500 to 3,000 individual members. We're about 80, 80 to 85,000. But uh, So the size of the authorized golf association varies, but again, there's about 100 uh, entities like us around the United States. So you're in a very unique position in that I believe you're you're the only the third person to hold this role in the hundred year history of the CDJ. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, there's only been uh, so, I'm the third one. Can you talk a little bit about um, you know so how did the actual the CDGA come together? I mean, a hundred years ago, what was the um, was it a group of different clubs that got together and said, hey, we need this sort of a resource, or what was the sort of the impetus for the CDGA? It was actually spearheaded by the president of Hinsdale at the time, Francis Peabody, uh, who was our first president. But he looked at it, and his big uh, aspect was in, in looking at golf in Chicago uh, in 1913, 1914, you know, a little more than 100 years ago now. Uh, the caddy program was important to him because at the time there were no golf carts. Uh, there was you know, all caddies and the tournament aspect. So he's the one that, that kind of saw this and said, we need to do something about this. You know, at the national level, there was the USGA, and even the Western Golf Association at that time was more on the tournament side, more of a national group. So he's the one that spearheaded this, and it was through his efforts that 25 clubs were invited to attend the initial meeting. They were all Chicago-area clubs, uh, but that's how it started. It was his vision that we needed to have a, a local governing body and, again, the, the, the two primary reasons was the Caddy Welfare and Tournaments, but he's the one that organized it, uh, he's the one that got it started, and then it kind of grew from there. I think one of the unique things about uh, having over 100 years of history, and now just for Chicago golf beginning around 1895, we have such a, a tremendous history of 
golf in this area, being that this is one of the places where it started in the United States, is that part of the role of the CDGA is to almost be a, a historians of the game, or is that just sort of something that's a, a byproduct just because the CDGA has been around for so long? Yeah, I, I think it's both. Um, it is a byproduct because we've been around for quite a while. But uh, because of the archives that we've been able to create, uh, we have historical data that goes back to the late 1890s. We have uh, some books that date back that far from the early 1900s you know, and throughout the, uh, the early part of the last century. So it is a combination of both. Uh, I'm not sure that you know, 100 years ago they were thinking of that, but because of the, the detailed records that we've kept, because of the files on our member clubs, uh, over the course of the 100 years, we've kind of grown into the historical aspect because our files do contain uh, that information from when the CDJ was founded uh, and even prior to the CDJ being found. So I, I think the answer to the question is we do a little bit of both. So what do you think are the, um, uh, you know, we talked about the tournaments and the caddies being two of the kind of precursor ideas to this. As the... Um, as, the, as your role has evolved, and you being the third person to kind of hold this role, do you think the challenges that the first two people that you had uh, take the role, do you think they face any of the similar challenges you face now, or is it, is it unique just because of the fact that the world has changed and technology and everything else? I think that there are some things that are just inheritant and go from generation to generation. I'll, I'll start with that one. You know, it's interesting that uh, we had a magazine that was published back in the 1920s and the 1930s, and going through the archives, uh, there was an article uh, that was written in 1932 in our magazine that talked about the challenges the game was experiencing at that point in time. And it had to do with the economy, the Great Depression. It talked about how club membership was down. It talked about how you needed more people participating in the game, how to have more family participation uh, in the game. And when you read that article from 1932 and you move it 80 years later, it's almost the same challenges that we face now. So there's certain aspects, I think, that go doesn't make any difference uh, who's sitting in this chair or, or what generation it is. Uh, golf, like everything else, it, that's a leisure activity. Uh, when the economy's good and the weather's good, there's more people playing it. When the economy's bad and other challenges, it goes down. So in that regard, uh, whether it was 100 years ago, 50 years ago now, or 50 years in the future, the individuals that are in, in my position or in similar positions or working in golf associations, you're going to face those uh, those challenges that are there. The good thing is that you go back and look at golf in this country, as you said, back to Chicago golf in 1895, and take the game back into its roots in Europe. This game has survived a lot. Uh, just in this country alone, it survived two world wars. It survived a Great Depression, coming out now of a Great Recession. So the game's going to continue. Uh, and still, you've got 20, more than 20 million people, 25 million people that play the game. Those challenges and those kind of ups and downs will always be there. I think the individual aspect becomes, as you said, like right now, technology. Uh, there was technology in the 1960s when computers were first, you know, being born, if you will, and what that brought to, to, to the game. And, and as each decade's gone by, now the technology, and nowadays it happens so fast that you almost can't keep up with it. So there are challenges that are faced along those lines, for example, like distance measuring devices. When, when those first came out, they were big things, and the USGA looked at them, and it was, you, know, you couldn't use them. Well, now, my gosh, uh, they're small. Sometimes you've got your GPS now. So this is evolving so quickly. Those are unique challenges to the time we're in now. So I think, again, it's a little bit of both. There's the historical challenges that are always going to be there, but then there's the, 
the modern world challenges that we face now and probably 10 years from now there's going to be new things that we're not even thinking of at this point in 20 years so it's both and you got to kind of balance them off so before we get into the future and, and kind of what you're looking to uh, achieve and what you see as the opportunities going forward i'd like to take a step back um, and talk a bit about uh, the generations like you mentioned uh, we're in a unique position now with over 100 years of the history of the game and, and more than 110, like you said, 1895 locally. Uh, we're in a unique position where generations now, families, can talk about the history of the game of golf. And you know, I played at this course and that course because a lot of these courses were created in the 1900s, 10s, 20s in that building boom era. Is there an inherent strength that you think the game has just because of the history and that we, you know, we do have sort of this foundation of golf built in Chicago for so long, or is that something that you think that they, we can do a better job of kind of bringing that to the forefront, especially for younger golfers nowadays? I think there is an inherited strength that is there uh, because it is, it's embedded, if you will, in our history, the number of courses that we have, both public and private, uh, that are outstanding, that have a long history. And the one thing about history is you can't buy it. Uh, so to go back and say that Chicago Golf was one of the five founding clubs of the USGA, that you know Coghill Dubs Dread, one of the first uh, public golf courses that was championship caliber and hosted tour events, you, know, you can't buy that. You can't make that up. That's part of our DNA. It's part of our history. That said, you can't live in the past you have to move forward. So I, I think when you look at golf, it, it, there's no doubt there's a lot of positives to it. The positives are that there's a historical background to it. The game is based on integrity. It's based on honesty. It's based on respect. You know, it's basically the, I don't want to say the only sport, but we'll phrase it this way. It's one of the only sports that you're taught to call penalties on yourself, you know, you can't really imagine a football game where a a player goes to the referee after the team scores a touchdown and says, well, Mr. Official, I know you didn't see me. I was holding on that play. Uh, so you better throw your penalty flag and uh, assess me a 10-yard penalty. That doesn't happen in other sports. They, I don't want to sound negative, but a lot of times they'll teach you how to circumvent the rules, and if the official doesn't catch you, good for you. Golf's not that way. It, it teaches uh, aspects, again, honesty, respect. It teaches life lessons. Golf's also a sport, and you brought up an interesting word there, in generation. It's one of the few sports that generations can play it. Uh, in a lot of other sports, uh, maybe the children are participatory and the parents and the grandparents are the spectators. Well, golf's a little bit unique in that uh, the children, the parents, the grandparents can all play together, and you can do it as a family activity. Uh, again, another strength. So, uh, Golf has the components to continue on into the future. I think the, the challenge that we face is the times here are a little different. You know, time is of the essence nowadays. Uh, five hours is a long time. There's activities. There's scheduled activities, uh, family time. So maybe 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago it would be different. You could go to the golf course on the weekend, and then the family could join you later, and maybe more uh, – of a slower pace. That's not the way it is now. So the challenge that golf has is really kind of reinventing itself in that five hours, okay, great, but what about if you only have two hours to play? How about a nine-hole round? Uh, how about getting the family involved, the family golf nights, uh, whether it's mom and dad or the children or whatever it is? So there's challenges there, but 
because of the historical aspect of the game, because it's so strong in Chicago and in other parts of the country, but because Chicago's got deep roots in this thing, I think it's an advantage to it. But, again, we can't live in the past. We have to take what is solid, what the game brings, and adapt it to what's currently there in uh, the lifestyles that, that we live now. And people say, well, gosh, you know, golf can't change. Well, yeah, it does change. We don't use hickory shafts anymore. We don't use, you know, a gutta percha golf balls. Uh, golf course maintenance is different. So the game has evolved over the years, and, and it will continue to evolve. The one thing that you never want to lose, though, is the integrity aspect that the game brings. So you mentioned uh, a couple times in our discussion we've talked about Chicago golf, and, you know, we have the person, C.B. McDonald, the designing Chicago golf, kind of bringing the game to the United States. Do you have any theories on why Chicago has developed, you know, in, in addition to uh, Chicago Golf Club and Cog Hill, and you go back in the 40s and the 50s at, the, at TAM when they had those televised tournaments on TV, the first ones, any idea why Chicago has, has kind of drawn itself to be such a hotbed for golf and now still with all these great courses that we have? Uh, I think it starts with the history, uh, you know, uh, like you mentioned with C.B. McDonald's Chicago Golf, the public golf courses, you know, Jackson Park is, I believe, you know, more than 100 years old. So it started way back, way back, and I'll use that phrase. And at that point in time, when you got into the 1920s with uh, the, the great expansion of sports, whether it was Babe Ruth and baseball, they talk about, you know, Bobby Jones and golf, uh, and it became a sport that people could play. And, and I think that that's where it really started. And I think the other thing, uh, not only that, but I think it's really because of, of the seasonal aspect. Because we have winter here, uh, and weather that's four or five, six months, uh, uh, sometimes where you can't play the game. So when the weather turns good and you get into the summer months, I think people are really enthused. They want to get out. They want to take advantage of it. So I really think it's a combination of the, his, the history of the game being here, uh, the, the long history of public golf. It's not just private clubs. Uh, Again, it's part part of our makeup, it seems, here in Chicago, but I also think the weather influences it. I think that when you've got the, the, the good spring, the summer, and the good fall times, they, people want to get out and utilize that, and I think that's where a lot of the enthusiasm comes from. I think that's a great point. It, it seems as though um, Chicago Golf Report has been around now for five years, and it seems like each year the focus and the participation, I guess the in, the interest of golfers, throughout the winter months just continues to grow. And I don't know if that's a fact of the golf show, you know, Chicago golf shows that we've had, or if it's the fact that we're having more and more facilities and making the capability of winter golf possible, whether it's in a dome, whether it's in a simulator, um, you know, any of those things. Do you see more interest from golfers throughout the year, or is it still, you know, as far as what CDJ is involved with, is it kind of restricted to the outdoors situation? I think we do see more uh, involvement with golfers because of what you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the simulators, the domes, where people before, if they didn't travel in the winter, they put their clubs away in October and November, and they didn't touch them again until April or May. I think what happens now is, is because there are golf domes, because there are simulators, because there are ways to hit golf balls indoors in the winter here, uh, yeah, I think we see golfers are not seasonal, if you will, saying, well, for six months I don't touch the clubs. 
those that don't travel in the winter, I think they still have an opportunity to at least hit golf balls. And I think that kind of fuels a little bit, if you will, their desire to go out and play once the weather becomes good. So, um, you know, our activities, as far as officially, yeah, they're, they're outdoor. It's tournaments and things like that. But as far as unofficially, you know, the promotion of the game, uh, part of it is letting people know there are indoor facilities, that there are options during the winter that you can participate in golf activities in the winter, even though there might be two feet of snow on the ground. So uh, that's part of our mission. Uh, it's to go ahead and uh, promote the game uh, 12 months a year. Uh, so then before we get into the future, one last question. Um, one of the biggest um, products, one of the biggest companies at the, the PGA show in February uh, was Topgolf. And we have Topgolf here in Naperville. And we're, excuse me, we have one in Wooddale, and we're going to have one in Naperville in another month or two. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there anything that the CDGA takes from the success of Topgolf and, and how they're bringing you know, new people in? It's just the overall popularity. Do you do you see anything unique that they're doing, or is it kind of just roll up into the mission that, you know, what we're trying to accomplish already? I think it's beyond the CDGA. I think when you look at uh, the Grow the Game initiatives that are there, and it starts at the national level with the USGA and the PGA of America and the PGA Tour and Augusta National, uh, and growing the game at the national level, and you look at a top golf that has facilities not only in Chicago but other parts of the country, and you see the success that they are having of utilizing the game and kind of bringing together game and social aspect. Now, 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago or generations ago, the social aspect was going to the club and playing the game there and maybe sitting down and having lunch and that type of thing. Now, because of social media, because of the technology, I think what Top Golf has done is it's taken the aspect of the game, the challenge of the game, but has combined it with kind of the, the, the social atmosphere. And it, it, it seems to be very successful. And I think anybody that's in the, in the golf industry looks at that and says, hey, they got a pretty good formula there. Uh, and that's uh, something to look at to the future. This combination seems to be working. Uh, and that is something that anybody that's in the golf industry probably looks at and wants to keep an eye on and see, will it continue to grow? And if it does, you know, how does it grow the game eventually? How do those people move from a top golf facility to the golf course? So, yeah, I would say that there would be a lot of interest uh, in, in looking at that and keeping an eye on how that does. So then, uh, so let's finish up by talking about the future. You know, we talked about the, the changing demographics, like you said, the, the essence of time right now. Um, you know, we could throw in the, the confluence of technology. Um, you know, I've noticed that recently you see more and more players on the course, you know, a lot of the younger people listening to music while they're playing. It seems like there's a lot of things in play right now. Um, so from the CDGA's perspective, what do you see as the opportunities going forward? How can, how can you grow the game and, and get more people involved, or at least what are you focusing on? I think it's, it goes back to looking at starting with the junior golf programs. And I think if you can go back now, it's hard to believe it's been, you know, it's going to be 20 years since Tiger Woods came on the scene. But when Tiger Woods began his pro career, and even as his amateur career, when he won three U.S. amateurs, he kind of elevated golf uh, to a level that a sports fan would watch it, not even a golfer, and even a casual person would watch it. Uh, And I think at that point in time, the feeling was we're going to get this huge influx of golfers and it's going to swell the ranks of golfers by 10 million. Well, now that we've had the ability to look back on it, and this is just my opinion on it, uh, it definitely moved the needle as far as golf, especially spectatorship. Uh, You know, when, when Tiger was in contention in a tournament, you could look at the ratings, the television ratings afterwards, and they would always be much higher. 
So he was able to bring golf into kind of the, the mainstream sport, much like Arnold Palmer did uh, back in the 1960s in a Jack Nicklaus. So Tiger Woods did that, and he brought juniors into the game. Uh, but I'm not sure it's translated yet to those individuals continuing to play the game. What we see is junior golf programs like the Illinois Junior Golf Association, an unbelievably strong group, you know, 2,000 to 2,500 uh, youngsters playing the game. But what happens is as they get older and get into high school and then to college, it's tough for many of them to continue to play the game. Uh, other things take over. And so you, you kind of have a strong junior golf aspect, and then you kind of lose them for a little bit. Uh, for several years in there, and then you want to try to get them back once they're maybe out of school and they start their careers and start their families. So one of the challenges that the golf industry looks at is how do you keep these juniors engaged in the game throughout high school and college, even if they're not playing on the high school team or the college team, how do you do that? I think that's a challenge that uh, that the industry faces. Um, the technology, the you know, the aspect, like you said, of people listening to music, uh, different things that years ago would have been taboo on a golf course. I think we have to open up a little bit and embrace those changes again, without losing what the basis of the game is: honesty, respect, integrity. Uh, you know, times change. Uh, when you look at pictures from 100 years ago, what were the golfers dressed in? Well, you know, the men were dressed in ties and long sleeve white shirts, and the women had long skirts on and things like that. Now, I'm not advocating that, you know, we don't have dress codes, but I, I think you have to look at it and say, yeah, you know, shorts on a golf course are fine if they're a certain length, and it's okay to wear blue jeans to a private club now, and you don't have to put on a, a sport coat all the time. Uh, I think that that's just a reflection of our society, and I think golf has to reflect that part of it to understand that society has changed and that nine-hole rounds maybe are more acceptable because you don't have time to play 18. There's nothing wrong with playing nine holes or maybe six holes. You know, Maybe golf courses will be designed in the future that after every three holes, the loop comes back to the clubhouse. So you can play a three-hole round or a six-hole round or a 12-hole round, but nine holes is fine. So the, the challenge to golf is to keep youngsters in the game as they become adults, but then also to adapt, if you will, to a certain extent of what society is, what, uh, what's there to kind of make the game fit a little bit more into individuals' lifestyles, again, without losing the historical aspect, without losing the values that the game brings. Uh, so then one final question, I always ask this when we ever have an interview, is and you're in a unique position, obviously. You're probably at the, the highest level in terms of the awareness of the Chicago golf team. But what do you really love about Chicago golf? What is, what's the, the part that you think makes, especially your job, what does, it make, uh, what does Chicago golf make unique about, about what you get to do? You know, I think it's the enthusiasm of the golfer. Uh, whether the person is a member at a private club, a public course, whether they play in a nine-hole league, whether they're a beginner, whether they play the game for 60 years, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, just the enthusiasm and the way people embrace the game. Uh, we are fortunate. I, I think that the rest of the country, sometimes we're not aware of what goes on, but the two things that we have in Chicago that I really think are, are somewhat unique one is the, the number of golf courses, not only private ones that are outstanding, but public ones. We've got so many public facilities here uh, that are just outstanding. And I'm not talking just championship caliber. I'm talking ones that people can go play, perfectly affordable, kept in good condition. We have a whole array of golf facilities on the private side and the public side. And most 
cities across the country do not have that. Second, uh, the second thing, believe it or not, it, it's a caddy program uh, because the Western Golf Association is based here. And again, it's not only private clubs, public courses here that have caddy programs. If a golfer has never had the experience of playing with a caddy, uh, you, you would almost hope that every golfer has that opportunity once because it is a different way to play the game. Uh, it's, I'm not saying it's unique, but it's a different feel when you have a caddy and you're walking the golf course and you've got someone that's kind of your partner there for four hours and you're talking to them and they know the golf course. So those two things that uh, make Chicago a little bit unique, and we tend to take it for granted, but when you travel to different parts of the country, you see that many places, many municipalities don't have the public golf courses that we do and they don't have the caddy program. So I think it's those two things, but just the enthusiasm of the golfer. Like you mentioned earlier, like the, the, the Chicago Golf Show and the thousands of people that go to that, and the, the, now the thousands of people that start hitting indoors and things like that. And then they, they, they're on the golf courses uh, during the summer and, and you know, going to events and the charitable events. So uh, in, in one word, it's the enthusiasm of the person, in, in the golfer in Chicago for the game. This has been the Chicago Golf Report Podcast. Visit ChicagoGolfReport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago Golf News, and in-depth event listings.